0: Tonight on T-Watches a Scary Movie, I'm finishing up my look at the Hatchet series, or the Victor Crowley series, if you will, with a review in Victor Crowley, right now the fourth and final installment of the Hatchet series, for now, like I said, for now. And I'll also be sharing my review of Horror Noir with you as well, another great Shutter Anthology Horror Film. Now, with that, it is important for me to say that you're gonna to wanna to make sure you're paying, uh, paying attention to the channel this week, as I will also be releasing an interview with my good friend, John Edward Benincourt of Nerds That Geek, uh, a good friend of mine who actually had one of his quotes published on the Blu-ray release of Horror Noir. So, be on the lookout for that. That's gonna be coming in later this week. As well, I'm also gonna be dropping a review later this week of Hellbender. So. Stick around for a couple great horror reviews, folks. This is T Watches a Scary Movie. we are back with our final film so far in the hatchet series Victor Crowley this is the fourth film and most recent in the hatchet series that was released five years ago back in 2017 now you may recall at the end of hatchet 3 Mary Beth Dunstan played by Danielle Harris from a Halloween fame don't tell the don't tell mom babysitters dad stuff like that she was finally able to fall victor crowley by throwing his father's ashes upon victor's face and victor proceeded to basically uh i don't know melt dematerialize whatever the hell that you want to call it basically but he basically died and we're left wondering whether or not Mary Beth would survive her injuries as crowley impaled her on a nearby tree in his swamp so where can we go with this now i say that not ignoring our old school slashers because remember the entire purpose of hatchet was to basically make a parody send up homage to the slashers of old and not only did it do that it also managed to be a really really good film and it went on to make two other sequels that were really really good as well too so the fact that victor crowley is now dead i think the question came to where do we really have to care why he's back for another film if the quality is still there if there's still an interest in this character as well as the people all around him does it really matter because that was kind of the idea behind friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street and halloween back in the day to where these characters these villains would just come back and that's the end of the story you don't really need to put too much thought into it now And Friday the 13th, it was kind of convoluted because like, okay, Jason should clearly be dead in this point. And Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy gets defeated and obviously gets brought back numerous times. And Halloween, they don't really kill Michael Myers. He always seems to escape. So the fact that Victor Crowley was actually dead, what were we gonna do here? Because no offense in the least bit, I love this series, but it's not exactly the most highbrow horror series that's out there. But we get that answered very quickly by a group of filmmakers who want to make a movie about the Victor Crowley massacres that have happened and unfortunately managed to bring Victor Crowley back to life with the use of the same voodoo incantation that started this whole thing with Thomas Crowley, his dead wife, and his new lover that brought about the the birth of Victor. And thus, Victor Crowley returns to again come after anybody who's foolish enough to come across this swamp, which this time includes once again returning Perry Shin, who is back as paramedic Andrew Young. Now, this is the first time in the franchise that Perry Shin has come back to play the same character. Because remember, he was a different character in both Hatchet 1 and Hatchet 2 and in Hatchet 3, three different characters, but his character from Hatchet 3 managed to survive the massacre that went down and is back 10 years later. The story now shifts gear from focusing on Mary Beth over to Andrew and talking about a lot of his survivors guild and remorse and his PTSD with the situation. Because again, we've seen what happens every time somebody goes into Victor Crowley's swamp, they all end up dead. And in the case of Hatchet 3, the entire paramedics team, the entire swamp SWAT team, the entire police force that went out to that swamp were all killed amongst the number of civilians that were out there as well too. So 10 years later, Andrew, who a lot of people believe have committed these murders, is trying to uh, basically promote his new book about everything that happened and clear his name. And he's offered a chance of a lifetime, a million dollars, if he will just return back to Victor Crowley Swamp to prove once and for all that Victor Crowley is dead and that everything is truly fine to clear that name. And thus we get all of our fun of Victor Crowley. Now, it's very interesting because you can definitely see the change in budget from Victor Crowley uh, like to like the other Hatchet films. And I don't know if it necessarily seems like it's more or less. Now, I enjoyed Victor Crowley. Let me get that out of the way right off the jump there. I did enjoy Victor Crowley just as much as I enjoyed the other Hatchet films, but There's a change in, I guess, production value is the word I'm looking for, not quality. Quality's the same, still good story. But production value definitely seems different compared to the previous Hatchet films. And again, I don't know if that's more or less compared to those, but you can absolutely see that. Things look maybe a little bit smoother, maybe a little bit neater, but they also look a little bit more uh you know a little bit more b-movie which again is not a knock on it in the least bit just the way that it comes off looking and what's also interesting is that compared to hatchet 2 and hatchet 3 more so those two than the first one uh, we're not really thrown right into the mix with uh with victor crowley like we have a death scene at the beginning but it's a flashback because again victor crowley is dead at the beginning of this film And when things get going, yeah, we get all the death and gore and destruction that we're used to in this series, but it takes a little while for us to get there. And I think actually that's a really, really good thing because it allows us to get, again, more character work out of this story. Hatchet 3 kind of did the same thing to where Mary Beth immediately kills or thinks she's killed Victor Crowley, goes back to you know New Orleans to try to get some help with everything that's happened. And then it's a little while before things kind of break down again with the SWAT team, the paramedics, the cops, and Crowley out in Hatchet 3. So I think this is a really good idea to give Andrew a bit more of a spotlight and give him more of a character because Perry Shin's character in the previous three Hatchet films they, they combine together to make one interesting character, but by themselves, there's really not that much to go off of with the three different characters he's been playing. So the fact that we now get more of a story where this person is dealing with the aftermath of being blamed for all these murders, and you know he's seen friends and colleagues all get murdered as well too, that's a really good story to work with. You know We've seen that in plenty of horror films before, so this is a story that has easily worked before. And joining in this adventure because, no, we don't actually get Danielle Harris back as Mary Beth. She's not our lead character this time. So there's not really much of a role for her in this story, this really Andrew's story. But we have Dave Sheridan from Scary Movie. You might remember as Deputy Doofus. Uh, doofy, yeah. You have uh, Fel- uh, Felissa Rose back from Sleepaway Camp in here as Andrew's publicist. We also have Brian Quinn from impractical jokers we have tiffany shepis who you've known from numerous other horror films out there tyler main from x-men and a lot of other horror films in there is in there too joe lynch is in the film so we're still getting quite a number of horror legends in this film so it keeps up what Adam Green has already established in the previous two uh, previous three hatchet films and the gore is just as much on point as it has been before as well too again folks are having limbs broken and ripped off and faces go and scalps are being torn off and folks are getting drowned and electrocuted everything that you want from a Victor Crowley death is in this film including a very, very intense finger banging that happens as well. Too uh, less said about that, it is better for you to just see it with your own eyes in this case. But again, uh, Victor Crowley expands this story of Hatchet already to where we know again, Crowley is out there right now, he's still committing these murders, there's still more victims. But what is interesting though, what is interesting is that it won't expand past this swamp, which is Interesting, I guess, in theory when you really think about it, because when you look back at movies, again, like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, it is all always about a location or a specific person. And Friday the 13th, if you're in Camp Crystal Lake, you're fucked. Basically, well, unless he follows you to New York or into space, but you're fucked if you're at Camp Crystal Lake. Stay out of Camp Crystal Lake. You don't come across Jason. Not on Elm Street. If you live on Elm Street, if you're an, uh, a child of the families that burnt Freddy Krueger to death, you're targeted at that point as well, too. And Halloween, if you by chance happen to be Laurie Strode or a member of Laurie Strode's family, Uh, you're also uh, probably on the chopping block. And again, that's not counting the new continuity that was made with 2018's Halloween, or Halloween ends to where Michael Myers is just really just this random psycho who goes around killing people that just happen to be nearby. Uh, But still though, I, I guess it's interesting to think that with Hatchet, there is no tie. Like again, Victor Crowley is not going to downtown Louisiana, downtown New Orleans to uh, to catch his victims to kill anybody. He's really just coming across people who come across this swamp. So that might be the one thing that I, I do have slight issues with, but not really because Adam Green is just gonna keep putting people in that swamp and that works for me because I don't need to take these films that seriously. But I can also understand folks who might have an issue with the fact that folks just have to keep coming back there, and Victor Crowley hasn't left the swamp, but would he be as interesting out of that swamp? That's the really good question about it. But, I digress. If you enjoyed the previous three Hatchet films, then this is just more of what you wanna see. Crazy deaths, lots of blood, horror legends being involved, It is the same ball of fun that you've had in the three previous hatchet tales. So if you enjoyed those, you will enjoy Victor Crowley as well too. And Adam Green has even gone on to say that because Victor Crowley was so successful, we should expect a fifth film, which I have to imagine COVID played a big part in us not seeing it sooner than we have. But I imagine we're gonna see it a lot sooner than later. Get us that hatchet five or Victor Crowley two, whatever you wanna call it at that point but there are still stories left to be told in this tale. I'm just curious to see how we get more people coming back to that swamp. And what's interesting is that this might be the most low-profile cast compared to the previous three films. But yet, it kind of feels like, feels like they all mesh a little bit better in this one. Uh, big standout, Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers. Man, um, I fucking love Impractical Jokers. I think that is a great show. I think the Tenderloins are absolutely hilarious. And I didn't really know what to expect out of seeing seeing these guys do like actual film roles. But Quinn gets a cue absolutely Gets it down, man. Like, yeah, it's cute on screen, but it's also not, like, it's not the exaggerated, highlighted version that's on a Practical Jokers. He does a really, really good job with his role as Austin, part of the film crew here for uh, the, the show that's taping Andrew returning to the swamp. I really enjoyed it, honestly. I really, really did. I think he did a great job. I think the film's a really good watch as well, too. Folks, check out Victor Crowley. Before I forget, do you like Fangoria, folks? Are you a fan of the Fangoria magazines? Or perhaps some of their merchandise that they have at their website? Well, yours truly is now a million for Fangoria. And I want you to know that you can get 20% off your orders if you use my link, which is shop.fangoria.com slash axdew. That's A-X-D-E-W. Yes, just like my Twitter handle. If you go to shop.fangoria.com slash axdew, you will receive 20% off your order. And it's not just good for things like Fangoria Magazine subscriptions. If you check out their site, they actually have plenty of other great orders merchandise as well. So get to shop.fangoria.com slash do now and use that 20% off offer. We are now going to talk horror noir. Now I'm excited to talk this one because some of you might have had a chance to check out the recent documentary that went up on Shutter and I guess Prime Video called Horror Noir as well too. And that documentary uh, told a lot of tales about black horror, just in cinema in general. Um, they focused on a lot of the big important horror movies of the last you know, 60, 70 years or so that were predominantly black-led or black-featured or black-directed, written, all those kind of things. And it's a great documentary because you can kind of see a lot of the big points about black people in the horror genre specifically. And they got a lot of great names, uh, filmmakers, writers, directors, actors, producers, authors to take part in that documentary. Really, really empowering, really, really, uh, really, really deep as well too. And from that sprang this project, a movie basically called Horror Noir, that the whole idea was that we were gonna collect a bunch of black filmmakers and basically present a collection of anthology tales to the audience. And this is what we got. Now, if you got a chance to check this out, because it is free to watch right now on a number of streaming services. For example, it's free to watch right now on Shudder and on Prime Video. If you have AMC, um, you can get it through that as well too. And then it's also available to rent on a lot of these platforms as well too. And if you've been looking for more anthology horror, which is just great, it's just great. It, you know, that's one of my favorites, y'all. If slasher flicks are like my number one, uh, anthology stories are number two when it comes to horror. Just because I love the idea of telling shorter, base stories where you can have different casts, different fil- filmmakers, different just feels to every story that you tell and horror noir is perfect for that we have six different tales in here six completely different tales and considering the fact that they actually have a decent runtime, it's a two hour runtime, so that equates to what about between 20 and 30 minutes for uh like per hour at that point there i like, think was it 25 is that what it would be 25 minutes i think is what it comes out to now um so we get decent run times. We have really, really good like directors and writers behind this, and then we also have a really, really great cast as well, too. Um, if you've seen the trailers, if you've seen clips of some of the stories that are in there, uh, we have Leslie Ann Brandt, who you might remember from things like Spartacus. My- absolute favorite uh, TV show. So, so good. You have uh, Malcolm Barrett in there as well, too. uh, Sean Patrick Thomas, Tony Todd, Rachel True, Brandon Michael Smith, Lavelle Crawford. Like There's actually a really, really good cast to this horror noir film. And it's interesting because Each tale had seemingly looked different in terms of like quality and in terms of style. It looks like each filmmaker really did come at this very separately. And I point that out because. When we've seen other anthology stories, to where sometimes those tales might be connecting to each other, then we don't really get a different uh, a different feel for it. We don't get a different like sense from all the other tales. There's not really a big way to differentiate them, not in a negative way, but that's kind of the way that, like Trick or Treat works. If you ever seen Trick or Treat, amazing anthology horror film. Um, they have a bunch of different filmmakers doing different segments in there, but all the segments technically have to do with each other. But because of that the look of all of them is the exact same. There's really not that much different between one tale to the next to the next in terms of looks and feels from it. Horror Noir felt very, very different with all the tales that were in there. And I'm not gonna cover each of them because I really want everybody to have a chance to check it out as well too, but our six tales were daddy, about a uh, couple trying uh, uh, trying to get pregnant and, bring a baby into the world, but not necessarily the way that you might envision. We have The Bride Before You, Brand of Evil, Lake, excuse me, The Lake, Sundown, and Fugue State. Now, out of all these tales, I'm gonna focus my time on three of them, Brand of Evil, The Lake, and Sundown, because these were really, uh, these ones stood out to me more than any of the other stories in this film, and I really, really did enjoy them. Brand of Evil tells about a young artist who suddenly begins to get these additional job opportunities by basically passing on a lot of responsibilities he has in his community right now. Uh, Brandon Michael Smith plays our lead in this uh, in this particular tale as Nakani, and basically Nakani's role in this is that. He is an artist who's trying to make something of himself. He's very talented, he's very entrenched in his community, and right now he's actually working on a mural that's gonna go up at a local Black Rand community center. But his work has started to be be more requested by a mysterious client that's willing to pay him an excess amount of money, but it also requires him skipping out on his regular commitments that he has. Unfortunately, every time the county uh, completes a project, Somebody turns up dead in his community. Are the two things related? You'd have to watch to find out. This story probably hit me uh, hit me harder than any of the other ones in there, only because this story very much reminded me of Tales from the Hood for whatever reason. But I don't know specifically why. Uh, Tales from the Hood, uh, I've talked about on this show before. It's a fantastic horror anthology tale from the early 90s uh, that tells a lot of stories about things happening in the world at the time. You know, police brutality, racial injustice, and int- intentions, political, racial issues, all these kinds of things. And uh, this story here, featuring Brandon Michael Smith, uh, it, it really did speak to me because basically what we were seeing was this character, Nikani. Uh, basically put a dollar tag on his morals on what was important to him like basically like saying look like you can have the chance to make your work and make this money and it's all about the cash at that point or you could stay helping out your community like you intend to do, like you've been doing, and actually offer them something that they very much need. And as the stories keep going on and on and on, and we see more of the projects that he's taking, we see just how much he's giving up just to get that money. And I guess that spoke to me because You know, I run my own business. I run a Black-owned business. And so the idea of compromising your morals just to get an extra dollar is something that, you know, I've dealt with numerous times before. And I don't think I could compromise it in the way that Nakani did. But of course, we all say that until that's brought to us, until we're in that moment and have to make that decision. And um, again, I really don't want to spoil what the twist of that particular tale was because you're pretty much can pick it up about halfway through it. Um, It's interesting. Again, with the short times of these tales, we actually, like, I felt like each of them got really, really good runtime for them. So we weren't really missing much in the way of fluff. Like, it felt like watching a Tales from the Crypt episode in terms of length for each of these stories. And this happened to be my favorite story of the six that were on this. Um, It's a very, uh, like, the twist itself Um, Like It's not that it falls on its head. It's really, really good. But it's not as scary as I'm sure it probably could have ended up. But what's behind that twist, though, um, the evilness behind that, I really did enjoy. Because you can definitely see it coming, and it tells a very poignant tale about people need to be careful these days about what do your creative endeavors really go out to support. Because these days, everything needs to wash both hands to make sure one's not doing the wrong thing there. So, really did enjoy that story. The one, though, that I think most of you are really going to like is The Lake. Now, The Lake starred Leslie Ann Brandt from Spartacus about this teacher who moves to a new town, buys a new house that's on the edge of a lake. And she's warned immediately that, you know, there's been some disturbances and there's been some issues around this lake and that she should never go swimming in it. That some kind of monster has killed multiple people surrounding this lake in years past. So as uh, 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 Abby, Abby's her name, I'm sorry, as Abby continues to uh, make her living around town, she's a high school teacher. She ends up needing a landscaper and decides to employ one of her young, impressionable students in her class. Now, what I really, really enjoyed about this tale were all the pepperings that they did earlier on. Because as Abby goes to the school for the first time to get, you know, set up and integrated and everything, the first person that catches eyes with her is this young kid who's going to start landscaping for her. And honestly that just ooh like that that caught me really really off guard because I saw it as as Abby's walking into the school this kid kind of gives her the side eye and stares at her for a moment but I don't know how many people really noticed that until you know a few minutes later when this kid starts chiming up in Abby's class and then she hires him and you can definitely feel obviously there's some tension between Abby our teacher and this kid, who there seems to be some kind of infatuation, and in her hiring him as a landscaper obviously can't lead to anything good. Now, Abby is warned numerous times to stay out of that lake and that the lake calls to you and that it does evil things. But unfortunately, she's unable to resist and takes a swim. And Abby herself begins to put others in dangers as we begin to find out the mysteries of this lake. Now, just like the previous story uh that i was mentioning here the um uh uh, brand of evil the thing is is that about halfway through the lake you can get an idea if you're familiar with a number of mythical monsters you can get an idea of what like what the reveal is going to end up being and Honestly, I think it's a very, very strong tale because it talks a lot about temptation and if we're faced with it, what would we do? It's kind of carrying the tale from Brand of Evil over, saying like, what are you willing to sacrifice for this temptation that's right in front of you? And Leslie Ann Brandt, who is a tremendous, tremendous actress, does such a good job riding the line of um, going for these new cravings and desires that her character wants versus also trying to not hurt anybody or not you know cause any issues for anybody or anything that's in this her new home and the ending is fantastic it teaches another very very important tale uh uh, that again i can't spoil just because it is so good and it's such an engrossing uh engrossing story that everybody i feel should be watching as well too um what i will say though is between both Brand of Evil and The Lake, we do start to see a little bit of the limitations of maybe the budget because the monster in Brand of Evil is a very uh, very traditional, very just run-of-the-mill design for the monster we end up seeing. And the one that we see in The Lake, it is a little bit more terrifying, but we don't really see that much of it. So this bo- both tends to point out the advantages and disadvantages to having a budget, you know? And the last one as a part of this story that I wanna talk about is Sundown, about a group of activists who end up in a town that still practices sundown laws. Now, if you've never heard of a sundown town before, this is a town to where uh, black people and other people of color usually are not welcomed in. And basically the idea is before the sun goes down, you need to get the hell out of Dodge because your safety is not insured if you're there after the sun goes down now already uh for anybody of color who's watching watching this tale you can already feel uh, a lot of uh tension from that because this is something that still exists in the united states at today's age as well too i've been lucky enough to not uh have to come across one of these towns myself but Uh, The fact that uh, it's still a real thing that's out there, that's scary enough as it is. And were it just a story like that to where they're talking about this group of activists where a couple of them are black and they're the ones getting hunted and it's like, they're they're being at, like they're being targeted because of the fact that they're black. That alone would have been a very very scary tale, but it's actually brought up a notch as well because it turns out that these activists, sure it's a sundown town, but it's not a sundown town for the reasons that you may think. And the twist again is something that you could pick up right away literally right away when they decide to start bringing it over you can pick up where that twist is going but it doesn't stop it from being uh, any less enjoyable as um uh as some of the residents of this town played by peter stamare of all people and lavelle crawford as i said as well adds so much flavor and uh just different uh different personalities for us to experience in this crazy crazy town now This tale will be a more traditional one that I think uh, people will latch onto a little bit more just because... You don't really need to know about, like, all these other monsters that are in some of the other tales. It's not too complicated of a story. And it's a very straightforward one that, yes, there's a twist, but the twist is revealed fairly early on. It's not the crux of the story itself. And I think that makes this uh, this tale of Sundown more accessible to casual viewers who don't really want to get into the mythology of other things or need to have previous knowledge of some of these monsters that might show up in these tales. But what horror noir really does a good job of is... Sometimes it's easy to get an anthology tale that's not a big mainstream, theatrical, or at least streaming release that has all this money behind it and not have the talent behind it to back up this project. And Horror Noir really, really does. The writing can get a little bit wonky in some places. Um, out of the six tales there, I will say that I really, really didn't find myself latching on that well uh, to daddy, honestly, and bride before you was decent enough. It wasn't as great as I wanted it to be But it was it was it was good though um, And that can be the problem sometimes with anthology tales is that if you have multiple stories Some might not be as strong as the other but the good thing is is that even with the writing in and uh, some of these tales not being up to par to the rest The cast definitely helps to elevate this material. They got a good cast of well-known actors as well as relative newcomers in this to where everybody's kind of mixed and matched together. So one cast can bring out the best out of another cast and the tale's just really, really, really just blend and blend well together and come like they're they're very comforting honestly which is weird for a bunch of tales about uh a bunch of tales about sensitive natures to black people it's it's interesting how comforting a lot of this is like it feels like something that has been around for a while, if that makes any kind of sense. This seems like a movie that a lot of us would have been growing up on, similar to A Tales from the Hood as well, too. So it's definitely one that I want y'all to go and check out. Again, it's available on Shudder, on AMC, on Prime Video right now. You absolutely need to catch it. It's called Horror Noir. Make sure you're looking for the movie, though, not the documentary. Hell, watch them both, honestly. Watch documentary, then watch the actual movie. And let me know what you think about this one in the comments. Again, folks, that's Horror Noir this video whether it was a review whether it was a new episode whether it was an unboxing an interview or whatever else i want to remind you you can check out my separate reviews also on my youtube page and new full episodes go up every wednesday night on youtube at 8 30 p.m mountain standard time and on your favorite podcasting platforms at 8 p.m mountain standard time don't forget to hit that subscribe button like and share my name is t we've been talking scary movies